We're essentially, with that comment about December 21, and uh, we have 13 days before we will move into 2022. And that's a year that many of us, I'm sure, thought we would never see in the flesh. Now, we were hoping we'd see that year, whatever. Maybe maybe the count will, will start again with a millennium. It'll be year one. I don't know, but... Uh, Anyway, we would, we would not expect it to have been here in 2022 in the flesh. But as we look back at how much can you recall of 2021? Because most of us, to a degree, we live in the present. What's going on around us right now? So how much can you recall of 2021? What, what were and what are some of the major news items that transpired this year, things that affected our world and affected many of us. A a lot of noteworthy things happened in 2021, some of which I would think some of us probably have a little trouble recalling just off the top of our head, remembering what transpired this past year. So this afternoon, I'd, I'd like to go through a review, if you will, of 2021. 2021 in review and remind us of an obvious but quite vital lesson that this review should and can teach us. 2021, as much or more than recent years, with the possible exception of the year before, 2020, tells us that you and I are living at the end of the age. That's something we teach, we believe, we practice. In that sense, we teach we're living at the end of the age. And what has transpired over the last almost two years now with the COVID-19, with the, with the virus, that those two years, 2020 are, and 2020 and 2021, are obviously connected by the scenario that's been built around the saga of, of this uh, this virus. But uh, this afternoon, I'd like to focus on 2021. Let's turn over to Matthew 24. Read just a couple of verses. And if we're going to do a 2021 in review, it'll be a little bit newsy in the material I'll discuss this afternoon. But Matthew 24... We have here the what's called the Olivet Prophecy. And we read a couple of verses. Verse, 20, verse 3. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So what things Christ had prophesied in the previous verses, and especially in uh, chapter 23, then they wonder, when, when's it going to come to pass? But when will the end of the age be? It, you know, it could be more than just one uh, one question there, but in terms of what was discussed about when will these things happen, but also when will the end of the age come? And he gives us in verse 6, he talks about some of them. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now, we know that there are 
wars of some magnitude, sometimes a small magnitude, seemingly going on all the time one way or the other. But maybe it's this idea of rumors of wars is a, uh, a, a very relevant to us right now, I'll put it that way, that because of what's going on, there are three items I'd like to, I'd like to at least uh, address briefly. Three conflicts or potential conflicts that are really an international concern, not only for the United States, but for the entire world. Something that you and I maybe are, we, we see it, we're aware of it, these things. But I'd like to just mention three of them in, in, in passing, and it's not all of them to be sure, but these are major political, military, potentially military issues in our world today. And one, of course, is Iran. And the th- risk or the threat of them becoming a nuclear power, actually possessing a nuclear weapon. Iran uh, is pretty much widely regarded as a terrorist state and therefore a, they bring danger and threats to many Many places, but one in particular is Israel. Iran is an avowed enemy of Israel and threatened in various ways. Of course, back in 2015, the United States, Russia, and China, and a couple of other uh, countries uh, managed to put together an agreement for what Iran could do in, in the way of, of enriching uranium that could be used for an atomic or a nuclear bomb. And, of course, then when, not, when uh, Mr. Trump became president, he withdrew from that agreement, and the result has been that that agreement is pretty much in tatters. There are others who are still supporting it, but Iran appears to be not, not supporting it. And in now in exchange for reinstituting some flavor of that agreement to where they would be limited by how quickly they could develop uh, nuclear materials, uh, their demands for reinstituting that agreement are pretty much accepted as just patently unacceptable. That they're simply too, too egregious for other nations to agree to them. And of course, those nations and many others are greatly concerned. And one of which would be Israel, very much concerned if they were, if Iran was able to have a nuclear weapon. Just read from Briefly, hopefully, several articles here in going through these matters. These are materials easily found on the web to, uh, for the research that I went through. But this is from the New York Times. It says, as hopes for nuclear deal fade, Iran rebuilds and risks grow. And this is from November 21. Comment from, it says, over the past 20 months, Israeli intelligence operatives have assassinated Iran's chief nuclear scientist and triggered major explosions at four Iranian nuclear and missile facilities, hoping to cripple the centrifuges that produce nuclear fuel and delay the day when Tehran's new government might be able to build a bomb. But American intelligence officers, officials, and international inspectors say the Iranians have quickly got uh, gotten the facilities back online. Just for the first time since President Raisi, I think that's how you pronounce it, took office this summer in Iran, 
Iranian negotiators plan to meet with their European, Chinese, and Russian counterparts at the end of the month, which has which, which did happen at the end of November, to discuss, to discuss the future of this uh, the, the agreement that came up in 2015. Then, when after Trump scrapped the deal, Iran has adhered to the limits of the 215, uh, had agreed to the limits, which by most estimates kept it about a year from breakout, what's called breakout when they would have the materials for a bomb. The point is now enough material for a bomb. While estimates vary, that buffer is now down to somewhere between three weeks and a few months. Now, that's... That's a, a wide gap, but still we're talking about a few months at most that they could do this if they so desired. So that's the, the danger, and of course that raises all the antenna, if you will, of Israel, knowing how, how that, how that could uh, come to pass. Then there is an article from Time magazine, and this is probably, uh, this is fairly recent news, so you may have been to be aware of it. This is from a headline from Time, it says, they're very close. U.S. General says Iran is nearly able to build a nuclear weapon. November 24 was the article. Less than a week before world powers, excuse me, resumed negotiations over Iran's nuclear program, the top U.S. commander in the Middle East says his forces stand ready with a potential military option should tasks fail, or should talks fail. Our president has said, they're not going to have a nuclear weapon. General Kenneth McKenzie, commander of the U.S. Central Command, tells Time. The di- diplomats are in the lead on this. But Central Command always has a variety of, op- of plans that we could execute if directed. So this is one of those rumors of wars. And it's been stated that the... Israeli officials are lobbying or soliciting the United States to assist them with or cooperate in bombing the nuclear facilities in Iran. And whether or not we do that, it remains to be seen. But if not, one, I don't think we'd be too surprised to find out that uh, Israel would take matters into their own hands. And we'll see over more time. So a rumor of war. One of the things that Reminds us we are living at the end of the age. Second area was that the threat of China to invade Taiwan. Very much in the news, pretty much constantly in the last few weeks. And not only threatening to invade Taiwan, but also China's overt efforts to control and claim as their, their domain to a degree much of the South China Seas and waterways. And we see frequent tests or forays by the Chinese military uh, to go uh, somewhat near Taiwan, threatening them. And it's a, a problem. Of course, then you have the, uh, the gamesmanship, I would call it, between the United States in particular and uh, a couple of other national vessels, uh, the Japanese and maybe even the Australian. I'm not sure about that. But uh, going through the South China Sea in areas that is claimed by uh, by China, so we have that particular problem. And how much of a threat is that? So it's a it's a big deal. China has made very clear that they expect, in due time, one way or the other, to rein in the independence of Taiwan, 
as a nation. And as far as we're concerned, the United States, this article from uh, the Sydney Morning Herald, which is out of Australia, from October 18, says that this issue of the right of China to rule over Taiwan is the biggest international test for, of the Biden administration and Beijing's relationship with the world. Now, there's another test that uh, perhaps is also equal to or greater than it. We'll come to it in a moment. But long, a flashpoint, it now threatens to become a military one. China, President's, China's President Xi uh, Jinping has vowed, quote, the historical task of complete reunification of the motherland must be fulfilled. And the word reunification is used deliberately because Taiwan as a nation or an island has never been ruled by China, what we call the, the main, uh, on the mainland. Never been ruled. And when they set up the, the Republic of China in 1949, they went to Taiwan to do that. But Taiwan has never been ruled by, uh, by China. China has never recognized, though, Taiwan's government and has set a deadline of 2049 for unification of the mainland uh, uh, with the the island. So, again, that seems a little bit bit far out for some of us, 2049, but that's, uh, look at what could be what they're concerned about. So one one of their concerns is the analysts say that the Chinese Communist Party is extreme, increasingly fearful it has lost a whole generation of Taiwanese, as it has in Hong Kong, and therefore wants to act sooner rather than later to exert control over Taiwan. So the numbers of forays and efforts to try to intimidate the, 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 the uh, Republic of China goes on. We have uh, comments from the uh, usnews.com, about the Chinese military acts. And we, we find here, this is from November 17th, very recent. He says the mil- Chinese military has now or will soon have the ability to invade Taiwan, a U.S. government agency has concluded. It is capable of landing at least 25,000 troops on the island of, uh, island nation to establish an initial, initial beachhead according to newly released annual report from the congressional agency that put this together. So they, they want to do this sooner rather than later, and so the, the threats go on. So we have this rumor of a war. It's a create potential international conflict. How are we going to react? How much are we willing to do? And we have not stated dogmatically that we will send troops there to defend although we have made statements, or President Biden has made a statement, that they would defend one way or the other, but not, not in terms of sending troops there to go that, uh, to go that route of actually fighting the war on, on the island of Taiwan. Thirdly, big deal right now, that of Russia and Ukraine. Russia is acting as if they're preparing to invade Ukraine. They took Crimea back a few years ago, part of the, uh, part of the nation, and Putin and Biden held a two-hour video conference on December 7th where Biden, Biden threatened Putin with very severe economic issues were Russia to invade, uh, were to invade Ukraine. 
And at the same time, he's also stated, though, that we will not send troops there. So we're not going to put boots on the ground. We're not going to fight them. We will just find a way to punish them. So it's an interesting dilemma for, for us as a nation. And it says here from this is an article from, uh, from Al Jazeera, which uh, a news agency out of the Middle East, talking about what's behind the conflict. It says, according to Washington, Russia has amassed more than 100,000 Russian soldiers on the border with Ukraine and in annexed Crimea in recent weeks. Russia denies it's planning an invasion. Moscow says it can only or it can move Russian troops wherever it wants, that any of its acts are, are defensive only. And then Putin has pointed out that for their part, they've warned NATO against expanding eastwards. What's the reason for the conflict? Well, NATO, really the most, the, probably the biggest and strongest alliance in the world, has invited or suggested the Ukraine to join them, and they want to do that. And that's right on the Russian border. And Russia is very much against it. Putin has claimed repeatedly that Russians and Ukrainians are one people, but, of course, they reject that uh, that claim and uh, are willing to... Uh, so, of course, they're preparing to fight against that as well. Then from the Washington Post, it says about Russia planning a massive military offensive. It says, as tensions mount, Washington and Moscow over a potential Russian invasion of Ukraine, U.S. intelligence has found the Kremlin is planning a multi-front offensive as soon as early next year involving up to 175 thousand troops, according to U.S. officials and an intelligence document obtained by the Washington Post. The Kremlin has been moving troops toward the border with Ukraine while demanding Washington guarantee. Now, here's what, here's what uh, the negotiation amounts to. The Washington would guarantee the Ukraine will not join NATO and that the alliance will refrain from certain military activities in and around Ukrainian territory. The crisis has provoked fears of a renewed war on European soil and comes ahead of a planned virtual meeting next week, this was dated December 3rd, between President Biden and President Vladimir Putin. So the Russians' uh, plans for a military offensive against Ukraine as soon as early uh, 2022. The plans involve extensive movement of 100 battalion tactical groups, with an estimated 175,000 personnel, along with armor, artillery, and equipment. So that's a matter of the uh, concern and what they're planning to do. And then there is a comment that was it, it came out of the New Yorker that uh, makes us understand or helps us understand that when you do these kinds of things, there's always a chance of mistakes. Someone makes a mistake, and you have unintended consequences. Points out here in the New Yorker of, of December 16th, just a couple of days ago, says Putin is wagering, as Russian officials often boast, that Russia cares more about Ukraine than the West does, which means that in the end, the West will cave so as to stave off a war it doesn't want. It says then they feel, or we may feel compelled to intervene, risking then a wider war with Russia that no one has a stomach for. 
Russia is putting forward demands it knows cannot be met in order to justify the invasion to come. In a wide-ranging essay on Russia's new foreign policy, the analyst and columnist Vladimir Frolov wrote, quote, The threat of the use of force against Ukraine cannot be infinitely convincing. That means you can't just go on and on and on, just be a matter of words. He says, for the effective achieving political goals, without actually using force. Unquote. Prolov, Frolov, Riley quoted a line attributed to the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. Anthony Blinken, that's our Secretary of State. And apparently he was, he made the comment, superpowers don't bluff. So, if they're putting their messaging that there and they say if you don't abide or agree to our, our concerns, then we're going to, to invade in that matter. Another area in discussing what's going on now for this era, getting past the rumors of wars, in looking at 2021, uh, maybe we could call, could call this COVID-19 redux, I mean, just it's a revival, that we went from COVID-19, we went to, COVID, to, to Delta, and now we have Omicron that is raging across, especially across Europe and other nations, uh, in South Africa and elsewhere. Uh, it's rather interesting. One source says that, I read, says that uh, we're not sure where Omicron came from whether or not it really is a variant of COVID-19, that there is at least one study said it appears to be a SARS variant, which is uh, still a problem, uh, spreading very rapidly, and the nations around the world have reacted quickly. Uh, you look at what's going on in Europe, uh, not been so much change right here, except I guess it's noteworthy that uh, some of the football games for tomorrow have been canceled, and... Uh, I think it's on the news last night. It said the Rockettes in New York City canceled their performances. So some of the things have changed, but as a nation, not we've not reacted quite the way that Europe has. But the uh, it appears that also the comments have been made that Omicron is is mild, has mild symptoms, but those whether those symptoms are bigger or greater for those that are not vaccinated, nothing is being said one way or the other. One comment I saw was said that it appears that Omicron might be sort of a solution to COVID. That as things, as the variations come, the variants come, then that uh, get milder and milder, and ev- eventually our concern with COVID in general will will go away. And with all of that, what are we trying to do as a people, as a nation, as a world? Trying to return to normal. We've been trying to turn, turn to normal now for, in reality, for two years, very easily. If you go back to China and where it came out, it came out in China in uh, 2019. That's why it's called COVID-19. So about two years, we've been trying now to weather the problem, and we want to return to normal. One has to wonder if that's just an illusion. It's sort of like looking and seeing a lake across a desert. Uh, just not there. It's all, it's all it's in one's imagination. The illusion of going back to normal. Even I've heard that uh, sooner or later, we'll all get it anyway. And hopefully it'll be mild. Uh, 
Others have said similar statement. Well, we sort of have to get used to it. It's just an ever-present evil of sorts. So it's there, but it's an obvious health crisis. And it also creates an economic and a political crisis for, for the world and a social crisis. Some of the consequences in the last two years, but especially looking at 2021, the economic decline uh, continued to a degree. We had some effort at trying to recover, but with that effort to recover, we ended up with a problem with inflation. That in trying to solve one problem, you you get another. And there's a uh, there's an axiom in, in in the business world that says in in the uh, solution for every problem are the seeds for more problems. And that certainly seems to be true when man tries to solve its problems. When God says it's not in our in our ability to direct our own steps, it's also rather interesting that. Uh, a lot of the concern seems to be about this uh, this uh, uh, supply chain problem that keeping things available, making things available for us. That part of the news is the big concern is having gifts for Christmas. That's it, it seems to be a bit awkward when at least if I would assume that you go to the grocery store when I do, my wife does. The shelves are not full. There are problems with supply. Of groceries. Now, not any dearth, if you will, but shelves aren't full. There are things that you, that I've been used to seeing on the shelves simply are not there for days or weeks on end because of supply problems. It's COVID redux and the problems there, the manufacturing issues of parts supplies and the economic recovery is a risk because of all the things associated with the COVID matters that are continuing. Let's turn over again back to Matthew 24 and read just one verse here. The last half, if you will, of verse 7. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Now, I discussed some of this in a sermon I gave about, I think, about six months ago, to part of it, uh, some of these things. But these matters of the famines, the pestilences, earthquakes in various places, what kinds of things happened in 2021? Can you remember any of them? There's one headline here from one article I read. It said that climate change, that's the... Assumption is just the major cause for all the, the issues on, the, on weather. Extreme weather events are now the new norm, and it's have to be accepted. There are there's an article from Reuters Reuters.com, and the headline is this is from December 13th. Headline is heat killer heat waves and floods. Uh, climate change worsened 2021. Weather extremes. And I'm not going to read all of them, but this particular article was, was, uh, was fascinating because it went month by month for the most part to show the kinds of things that happened in our world related to weather. And some of these things we noticed as they happened, 
But again, how much of it stays in our minds to help us frame this issue in our world today, what, what Christ prophesied in Matthew 24, to help us understand we truly are at the end of the age. Again, this is from December 13th. Here are some of the events Reuters witnessed over the past year. February, a blistering cold spell hit normally warm Texas, killing 125 people in the state and leaving millions without power and freezing temperatures. Now, maybe after I read that, you can remember some of the issues that came out of that because there was a huge power failure in a great part of Texas. They were not prepared for the fact they had sub-freezing temperatures in a great in a large portion of the state of Texas. Uh, I can remember that happening. Uh, there was when I lived in Houston, first house we ever bought. That it happened to be the uh, there was a water line on the outside of the house connected to the sprinkler system, and when it got below freezing, that pipe was unprotected because it just wasn't one of those concerns. And that pipe broke. I think it was outside the house. But if we think about what happened across the state, much of the state, that that was a huge problem and it killing 125 people. The consequences of that happening or the, the, the unusual nature of that happening obviously grabbed national, made national headlines. Also in February, you might remember this, mentioned it in our, in, in our uh, headlines or in our uh, news and prophecy section, Kenya and other parts of East Africa battled some of the worst locust plagues in decades. It was also back in February. March. Beijing, and I don't, this was news to me, I don't remember seeing this in the news at all, but Beijing's sky turned orange and flights were grounded during Chinese, Chinese capital's worst sandstorm in a decade. And I did read another article about that, that it was a huge problem and a, a health issue as well as an economic issue. Then in June, nearly all of the western United States was gripped by a drought that emerged in early 2020. Farmers abandoned crops. Officials announced emergency measures, and the Hoover Dam Reservoir hit an all-time low. We saw pictures of that in there in the, on the news. Uh, not only that, not only that uh, Hoover Dam, but uh, the two of the major lakes that provide water for the South, for California and the Southwest, had uh, real uh, quite low. In June, hundreds died from a record-smashing heat wave in the U.S. and Canadian Pacific Northwest. Uh, I think one of the, I recall, one of the temperatures that was registered in uh, in Canada was 115 degrees. Uh, now, I don't know if you've ever been anywhere it's 115 degrees. Uh, I have a couple of times. Uh, one in California when the Santa Ana winds blew in, uh, 115, 117 degrees. That's hot. And, but uh, hot for Southern California, hot for desert, one thing. Hot for Canada, whole nother, whole nother matter. In July... Oh, no, it says here, over several days, think about this, power lines melted and roads buckled just from the heat. During the heat wave, Portland, Oregon, here it is, hit an all-time record high of 116 degrees. Not only what happened in, in, in Canada, but in the northwest U.S. In July, catastrophic flooding killed more than 300 people in central China's Henan province, 
when a year's worth of rain fell in just three days. And we're not able, obviously, to cope with that kind of water flow. Meanwhile, in Europe, nearly 200 people died as torrential rains rains soaked Germany, Belgium, and the Netherlands. And that was also widely on the news. Unusual weather. Scientists say that both the growing uh, frequency and the intensity of wildfires are just there. Then in July, says a record heat wave and drought in the U.S. West gave rise to two massive wildfires that tore through California and Oregon. We can remember again, those are headlines. But do we think about that today? When we look at 2021, it's uh, pretty traumatic as a nation. In July also, large parts of South America are suffering from a prolonged drought. While Chile is enduring a decade-long mega-drought, this year Brazil saw one of its driest years in, in, <clears throat> in a century. In August, it was noted here that Switzerland has lost 500 of its glaciers. And that represents about 25% of their glaciers, 20 to 25%. In August and September, we had Hurricane Ida. That's not too long ago. We should remember that. Which hit Louisiana as a category of storm, killed nearly 100 people in the United States, and caused an estimated $64 billion in damage. September, infrastructure and homes in Russia are increasingly in peril. Why? As underground permafrost melts and deforms the land underneath them. It's been a pretty good base to to put a foundation on up until the temperatures are going up. In November, a massive storm dumped a month's worth of rain over two days in the Canadian province of British Columbia. It's likely the most expensive natural disaster in Canada's history, although officials are still assessing the damage. And that's uh, obviously affected that nation. It's affected our people. And it's one of those uh, deals that was also on the, on the news. And we saw large sections of the roadway washed away, bridges wiped out. And it says here it came from, meteorologists said the rain came from an atmospheric river or a stream of water vapor stretching hundreds of miles long from the tropics. Atmospheric rivers are expected to become larger and possibly more destructive. Uh, I wouldn't mind a show of hands. How many of you had ever heard of an atmospheric river before that article was published? Not me. Just one of those, uh, very few of even knew what that meant. When you read it, was what, what's an atmospheric river? I mean, it sort of tells you what's going on, but not all of it. When you see what kind of damage and destruction can come from it, then uh, it's uh, pretty impressive when you see the, the damages that were, was done to, uh, to uh, southwestern Canada. And just this week, in the news, and even mentioned by Mr. McNair in the announcement, and also by Mr. Weston in his weekly update, we had a category, I think it's an EF4 tornado, tore through 227 miles of Kentucky, where the tornado stayed on the ground the entire time. 
and I believe it was about a mile wide. So the path of destruction, pretty awesome. And certainly the worst kind of worst storm that has ever hit Kentucky. And also, just a couple of days ago, right on the heels of that, we had severe storms in Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, where there were tornadoes and heavy, heavy, large, large, it was heavy winds or up to 100 miles an hour as that, as a storm went from the lower and upper Midwest all the way up into Wisconsin and Minnesota. And there were tornadoes in Minnesota. The first time there's ever been a tornado in Minnesota in December. So lots of destruction there as well. And the weather is a problem. It tells us there that these things are going to happen. There'll be famines, pestilences, earthquakes. There's going to be upset weather and its world as God allows the world and modern-day Israel to be punished. Let's turn back then again to Matthew 24. Well, no, let's don't turn there. But just to make a comment that in Matthew 24, more verses, verses 4 through 26, it rehearses all the things that Christ said are going to happen at the end of the age. I just highlighted two of the verses. But he, he gives several, uh, several more comments about that, that uh, says these are things that are going to happen. And we've been talking about them a long time. And there's a uh, uh, reality that the prophecies God makes sometimes take time, time, years. How about a couple of millennia to come to pass? And yet that warning has been there all this time leading up to those, those, those years in which we're living and the years coming. But sometimes... We go to so here in Mark 13. In Mark 13, this idea of watching, and you and I have been watching for years. And so, if you want to a title for the sermon, you could put 2021 in review. Colon. Watch. The whole lesson here is to watch what is going on around us and not lose track of the kinds of things that tell us the age in which we're living. Mark chapter 13, verse 29. It says, So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it's near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Now, of course, Mark 13 is a uh, parallel scripture to Matthew 24, Luke 21. It says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So what Christ is saying, what I've told you, these things will happen. My words Guaranteed. I'm saying these things will be done. My words mean exactly what, what I'm saying. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Now, not just watch, but watch and pray for you and I to understand what's going on. For you and I to recognize the realities of the world around us and the fact that Christ is in fact 
working with this world and doing, fulfilling the prophecies that he made, that many of which, you know, obviously replete in the Old Testament, the things that are going to happen. Watch and pray so that we are not lulled into some sort of easy life. Because right now, the grocery stores are not barren. They're not full, but they're not barren. We have most of the things that make life comfortable. You know, we, we're planning on having a family weekend next weekend, which is we're trying to be as, well, use the word normal as we can as a church because there are benefits to gathering together and having a good time. It's not, not a matter of being forlorn and broken by this. But at the same time, we are trying to live a, 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 a joyous life. We need to recognize what is happening. So it's to take heed and watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Points out here, then, he says, it's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. We are in the time of fulfilling the preaching of God's work, doing God's work, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and trying to talk about repentance, talk about change, but warning the world and especially warning Israel. And for us to do that effectively, we have to have our hearts in it, and we have to understand the urgency of the moment. Nothing that goes on changes how urgent it is for us to do God's work. Sometimes, let's turn over to Matthew 26. Now, this has been going on now, as I said, for a couple of millennia. We've been, people have been reading those scriptures. We've been reading them for decades. But on occasion... The warning comes, and you don't get a whole lot of warning. Let's turn back to Matthew 26, as I said, and we'll pick it up in verse 31. Matthew 26, verse 31. And Jesus said to them, these are his 11 disciples that are with him now, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd... And the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered and said to him, Even if all, everybody else, are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples, all 11 of them, said, not me, I won't do that. Not me, I won't do that. All 11 of them wouldn't deny Jesus Christ. And he was saying, you all are going to be made to stumble. Christ warned them. Then later, these succeeding verses, Matthew 26, verse 36, then Jesus, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and, and pray over there. 
And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther in verse 39 and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Verse 41. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The words back in verse 35 I will not deny you even if I, if I die, I'll die with you first. Those were words. And in the heat of the moment or the passion of the moment, maybe they were easy to say because they, they were, they were sincere, but they were not really fully comprehending what was about to happen. No matter what, all the things Christ had told them to prepare, prepare them for it, they weren't quite ready for that. And when it happened, they did, they fled. But he tells him here, right? he said, wake you, 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 you've been asleep, but watch and pray. Now, it goes on, it says, the spirit indeed is, is willing, but the flesh is weak. Second time he went away and prayed, saying the you know, same thing, and he came and found them asleep again. One has to ask, did they pray? Did they pray? He said, watch and pray. Now, that could be of a, a general or a generic statement that just be careful. But he said, watch and pray. Now, if they were praying, maybe they wouldn't have gone to sleep. But he said, watch and pray while I go pray. And, again, sometimes uh, you don't find out, uh, you, get, you don't get that much warning. Well, what happened? The warning was, be careful, because that very night they did deny Christ. They did flee. Now, they learned a lesson from that, of course. But the warning is, we have to watch and pray. Temptation and test, usually, like in prophecy about this, goes on, we've been preaching it for years. But sometimes our, our warnings are of something that's fairly imminent, Sometimes if you hear, if we look at this from the time that he would finish praying and then was arrested and, and taken off, uh, denying them, deny, denying him, was it talking about minutes before he was arrested or a couple of hours before he was arrested and taken away? We don't know for sure, but it was imminent. It was about to happen, and they did not understand the urgency of the moment to watch and to pray. Let's turn back again to Mark 13. And just reread a couple of these verses. Mark 13. Verse 33. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. You've heard Mr. Weston say, of course, Mr. Meredith said the same thing, that we don't know how much time we have. 
We just don't know. God has not given us that insight to know how much time we have. And yet if we look at the world around us and we just, again, look at 2021, I would think one has to one think that we that, that uh, we don't have that much time left to do God's work, and things can happen suddenly. If you want an interesting study, just go go to the uh, blueletterbible.com or get out your get out your concordance and look up the word suddenly, and see the number of times it's discussed in the New Testament of things that can happen suddenly. We need to be prepared for things to go wrong. Suddenly, it's like a man going to a far, I'm sorry, verse, uh, uh, verse 30 says, uh, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by, will by no means pass away. These, these prophecies are sure. Let's turn back to Second Peter. Chapter 3, before I read some verses here, just maybe summarize a story out of the out of history of Judah. If you go back, I think it's uh, in 2 Kings 21, you find the account there of the terrible and evil reign of Manasseh over Judah. He reigned for 51 years. And it describes there what he, what he, what, what he, uh, what he did. He passed his children through the fire. Uh, various uh, things are described. But also, then it says, and also he made Judah to sin. And that seems to be an emphasis, the way it's written there, that in particular, just the idolatry in general was so, it permeated the nation of Judah. And so much so that when you read the account after Manasseh and a couple of uh, kings later, you have Josiah. And Josiah had a 31-year reign, I believe it was, that it was a good reign. And yet there is a, a comment made when Manasseh is, is, uh, is the king that God says, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take, let Judah go into captivity the same as Israel. I'm going to, I think he's the phrase, wipe the dish clean. And it didn't happen immediately because Josiah then had a 31-year reign where he obeyed God. But shortly thereafter, uh, fell into idolatry again. And, of course, I think it was under Zedekiah they went into captivity. But there is a scripture there, and I don't remember exactly where it is, but God says even when things were going well with under Josiah's reign, that he said that he did not relent on the promise and the prophecy he had made that he would let Judah go into captivity because Judah did not obey him with the whole heart. It was only in pretense. So the idolatry that Manasseh brought into that nation or was already reinstituted was so great that really the nation didn't change apparently. Now, I'm not going to say all of them, but the nation didn't change. And so because as soon as Josiah died, they went back into it again. And so God's promise, prophecy, that he would let Judah go into captivity, of course, did come to pass. Christ says his words won't pass away. The end is coming. Just how close we are is yet to be determined. 
But we are told to watch and to pray. And so in Second Peter chapter 3, in closing the sermon, verse 1, Peter writes, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. And if nothing else, that's what this sermon is. Just a reminder. If we look at the events of 2021, the lesson should be obvious to us. That we are living in momentous and tumultuous times, hopefully not too far before Christ returns. I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now think about the context of some of the things I read, and you read here on the news, that it was the worst flood in a century. It happened before. Or this happened and it's been worst in decades. Or what's going on? And you read, one of the things I skipped over, one of the out there was the rains in a certain part of Africa have had the worst floods in their history for three years in a row. But we can look back and find occasions where bad things happened. Millions of people could have died. So people are going to say, and we have to be careful not to say, all things continue as they were since the fathers fell asleep. Peter saying then, he goes down to verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. That's what those who don't want to believe in God, don't want to believe God's word, would say. They count slackness in a different way, but God doesn't do it the same way. But God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is going to give mankind as much rope as needed to try to give them a chance to repent and see if they will respond. And yet the prophecy says they won't. In due time, the prophecies that God made about the end of the age will come to pass. Then he points out that the day of the Lord is in verse 10. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are there are in it will be burned up. So it will come suddenly. Be surprising. The world will be caught off guard. The responsibility you and I have is to not be caught off guard, to pay attention to what is going on around us. And hopefully the information I've shared with you, uh, God willing, it wasn't boring, but does remind us of what has happened even during this past year, of recognizing that we are living in very difficult times. Then in verses 17 and 18, Peter writes, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, we know these things. We've read the prophecy dozens and dozens of times. Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked or the wicked one, the lawless ones. 
we are careful to safeguard God's Holy Spirit in us. Safeguard our zeal to do His work so that we don't go astray, we don't fall from our steadfastness. But rather than that, we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. It's important that we watch and pray.